It's the setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. And it's Monday, November 4th, 2019. There's a very specious claim that John Accardo has made. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> first off, nets. an underrated movie snack, Raisinets. It goes great with popcorn. You gotta, oh, do you mix it into the popcorn? I, I don't. I'll maybe do, I'll maybe do you know, a couple handfuls of each and then like one bite you know what i mean like some raisinets yeah. some pieces of popcorn but i won't mix them in you don't do the m&ms in the popcorn or... um I, I i don't do that because i'm also conscious of there are people with me and they don't want that shit you know ah. um and also i, I think raisinets are also famously regarded as the worst movie candy oh really uh, i i strongly disagree i think they're the best but i feel like historically anytime i mention raisinets i'd say 70 percent of people go ew gross i don't like anything from that whole mike and ike's world like the gel candy Sort of a yeah, thing. like uh, Red Hots or whatever, sure. that kind of stuff. I sure. don't like that. And I don't like black licorice. Okay. Um, but we were talking about you might be joining I might AMC be. I'm probably going to sign up for AMC A-List because I'm seeing more than $23 worth of movies a month yeah. as it is. Um, and so... Uh, the question was the one of the drawbacks of... The, 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 honestly, the biggest drawback... <laughs> The biggest drawback for me is that AMC theaters do not have raisinets. They don't yeah. carry raisinets. They carry sun-made chocolate-covered raisins, which right. are different, and they taste different. I've never been able to enjoy a box of sun-made raisins as much as I've enjoyed <laughs> raisinets. Maybe three or four different times, I'm like, no, you're being crazy. They're the same fucking thing. Right. And then they're not. So what we need is like a, um, a blind taste test, basically. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, can I, I'm going to brag about one thing for just a moment. <laughs> We're talking about blind taste tests. Uh, this Saturday was friend of the podcast Robert Ramirez's birthday. Yes, uh, technically his birthday's um, Wednesday. It was I believe a games night or something. It was we did like a game night sort of a thing, um, and uh, we got there at noon, and it was just a lot of shenanigans all day. But the, 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 one of the hallmarks of the the party was um, earlier in the afternoon. We did a blind taste test of five different fast food places, which I think he saw like Rhett and Link do or something. Uh-huh. Um, those are the guys that do that stuff, right? I yeah. only know this because on several uh, Instagram Buzzfeed stories, kind of, yeah, got yeah. It. on several Instagram stories, he tagged Rhett and Link. So I assume that's kind of where this came from. Right. The idea was, um, and you've been talking about this from doing this for months. This is the only thing you want to do on his birthday, uh-huh. or like this is the first thing you want to do on his birthday. And so what we did is we all split up and we got uh, a cheeseburger. French fries and chicken nuggets from five different fast food locations. Okay, those five food fast food locations being uh, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Jack in the Box, and Carl's Jr. Okay, um, we considered a sixth one, but there's no other place that does all three of those things. Uh-huh. Um, so it would have been like uh, it would have been like chicken nuggets from Chick Fil A, which I didn't want to do, right, uh, right, right? And like a burger and fries from In and Out, and I feel like that would have muddled the whole thing. What so, about like a rallies or something? Um. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if there's. I, we yeah. I did. We were. I, I. I even just put chicken nuggets into like Yelp to see if there was a not Chick Fil A <laughs> place. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really find one. We ended up settling on five. So, uh, you would be blindfolded, and and so you couldn't touch the thing. They were fed to you. Oh, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. That oh, makes yeah, a big yeah, difference. Yeah. Um, and like, and then like, even the chicken nuggets were like uh, chopped in half. So like, uh, the, didn't feel for that L shape. Uh, uh, well, specifically, the the big loss there was the Carl's Jr. the stars. They're, those are stars. Oh, so you kind I of like you sort of lost that. Uh, anyway, um, all that to say is that we all did varying levels of of, of well. Uh, Robert, um, I'll give up his scores. Robert got I think none of the fries right. He got really? all the, all oh, the cheeseburgers okay. right. And then one of the chicken nuggets, right? We all got one of the chicken nuggets, right? Because we accidentally got spicy ones from Wendy's. And so it's very <laughs> easy to tell. It's kind of a gimme. Uh, but this guy got all 15 correct. 
Oh, my phone's going off. Um, all 15. That's all incredible. 15, I 15 for 15. Based on flavor alone, I actually think that sounds pretty tough. It was tough. And, I mean, first off, I mean, I don't take a lot of credit. A lot of them were guesses. Yeah. And um, and two in the in the the first and third round for fries and chicken nuggets, respectively. I'm an adult. Um, <laughs> Are uh, you? <laughs> I I, uh, I guess not. Um, in the last choice I made, uh, I changed. So like early on, I, I said Carl's Jr. I think for fries, and then at the end I went, no, these are Carl's Jr. fries. Uh, that must have been the only one I haven't guessed is Wendy's. So that, I guess that must be Wendy's, and this is Carl's Jr. Carl's I did Jr. That twice. Yeah, Carl's Jr. would be the hardest for me to guess because I have not had a lot of Carl's Jr. And I eat Carl's Jr. fairly frequently. If I'm going to get if I if I'm going to get fast food, um, like if I'm ever doing a late night gig or something, I don't have any food at Carl's home. Carl's Jr. is your choice? Or McDonald's. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I unironically <laughs> think Carl's Jr. is a good burger. I don't think it's bad. They, they, they had a good um, uh, veggie burger that they introduced recently. That oh. was pretty good. Oh, no, no. It was like an organic beyond meat one. one. And then they, I think they have a Beyond one. For some reason, everybody talks about the Burger King Impossible Burger, or they, maybe they have the Beyond one. They have Beyond. Okay. That's and good. Th- and then I think Carl's Jr. is an Impossible, but no one's talking about it. And so I don't know why... Uh, um, Fat Burger has the Impossible. Okay. Impossible's good. Yeah. Um, I tried to bake with Impossible meat a few weeks ago. I made meatballs out of it. It was disgusting. Ooh. Um, Does it not have the consistency to make a meatball? Um, it, I mean, they, got, they, they, they sort of turned into discs a little bit <laughs> uh they, they're they you know but they still look like meatballs yeah. um they they just smelled like cat food i i couldn't even smell them <laughs> and, I, and i've had impossible burgers that i like just whatever package i got at avon's uh-huh. i just did i just didn't like you sure you didn't just uh buy a thing of cat food <laughs> i was at my local cat my pet food store i was at uh <laughs> yeah. um I can't think of the name of the store. Petco. Petco, fuck. We drove by from a place called Cahoots, and so I couldn't remember the number, the main one. Ah. Petco. Um, my grocery shopping at Petco. The, uh, the, right before we recorded, I showed you a Danny D'Ortiz uh, oil and water. And it, and it fooled me. Because um, I, I can't remember where I've seen it before, but it's, it's, uh, it's a it's an oil and water that a spectator does in their own hands. Yeah, it came from uh, the Vanishing Ink costa rica retreat package mm-hmm. and i can't remember where i would have seen that before yeah it's funny because i had um it's it's the only trick out of the package that i've tried so far okay and uh, a good trick. friend of the show peter messaged me to say like hey have you tried this thing yet and it was funny because he mentioned the only trick that i've tried so far mm-hmm. um i will say that apparently no one copy edited the book that came with the costa rica retreat package because the length it's the, full of racial slurs. Yeah, no, the just it's amazing how wrong the English is throughout. Oh. It's literally like they like Danny Dortiz spoken to Siri, <laughs> and they just like printed. Oh it. no! Uh, oh, I have to see this to the point that some of it's like genuinely like confusing as to what. Also, uh, I will say one of the lecture notes that I got from uh, the Penguin Max West mm-hmm. uh, has uh, like several mistakes in it. <laughs> Uh, I won't say who, but I will say that uh, I got seven a couple of times. Is it this one, yeah, it's, it's not that one, but it's by that person. Got it. Um, and there specifically is I'm holding up some lecture like notes. a uh, there specifically is a by Di Vernon. Yeah, um, there's a setup that you have to do. Speaking of the, our podcast, um, hey. and uh, it's there's a photograph of the setup, and the setup is wrong in the photograph. So I was <laughs> I was going by the it's correct in the text. But I was like, oh, let me look at this picture of like how to set the cards up uh, right. at the beginning. And it was just wrong. And I was I kept getting the wrong end result. And I was like, what's going on? What's and then I looked at it and I was like, oh, these are not in the same order as listed in the text. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh and there's another part of it where it's like, uh, I will say the person is trying to describe a second deal. 
And so imagine you're doing a second deal. Okay. Um, they say they this. say with the left thumb. All right. You're going to push the top card over. Okay. And what they say is uh, to the left is what he said <laughs> to do the second deal. And then, and then in subsequently describing it, it's clear that he meant the other way. Oh, I see. Which is the way everybody does the second deal. It was right. very strange. <laughs> but see, sometimes when you read the uh, lecture notes, you're like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know this stuff. I don't want to presume that I, this writing is incorrect. So right. I will really try to do it the way it says it is in the text. Right. I, that has happened to me before. And then I'm, I, much like you, I'm very wary of doing what, I think is the correct way. Yeah, because it, sometimes it is not easy to tell if it is a mistake or 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 if you're if you're wrong. Yeah, that's kind of why I I do think that, especially with card moves, I think video is like much easier to learn from sometimes. Sure. The uh, a lot of the, the the sort of rejection of video comes in the idea that um, it's too easy to steal. Um, presentations of trick. And I guess with your talking uh, about moves, it's yeah. one thing. Yeah. But I, I think there's something I heard Bill Goodwin say is that um, if you're learning a trick from a book, it's impossible not to. Uh, what, did he, what did he say? He said it in a very eloquent way. Like if you're reading something from a, a book, it's impossible. It's impossible not to insert part of yourself into that because you're interpreting it as you're reading. Right. Even yeah, that makes sense. Um, whereas a video, you can copy it, but it's impossible to copy a, something a hundred percent from a book. Yeah, exactly. I think I might. Um, speaking of this, I might unsubscribe from Reddit slash R slash Card Magic. Interesting. I've never subscribed to that. What What is eh, the? It's just people doing card moves. But the thing is that um, I think it's actually this is a very uh, I would say maybe an old school way of talking about this, but it's very like uh, it's just people doing card moves, um, and they'll put up a video of themselves doing like quote unquote a routine, but it's just like doing. If I told you the the thing of like the order of moves that you'd have to do for a thing, which is right. like do a double lift and then do this and then do a cover pass and then do this and this and that's the trick, as opposed like none of them have any words to them, <laughs> like they're never videos of like a person actually doing a script with the moves. Mm-hmm. So I get tired of like looking at it because it's like this is all great, but like you, well, like what I have found is it's not enough just to like know what the moves are sure. in the routine um especially with the amount of unknowns there are having to deal with audience members right um and like for example when i showed eric this danny deerty's oil and water there's a point where you put two cards down at a time and to sort of as a convincer you put two down and you kind of go like see these are alternate mm-hmm. right and then there's a point where you can't do that right and when i got to that point he was like well why don't we do that <laughs> like he just like was because i'd done it once and sure he was gonna do the second that, that is a weird thing um i think with a lot but with most oil and waters is there are uh, a lot of times when you're dropping cards and you're alternating red and black cards yeah um you, you know there are times where you can show the card you're dropping and times you right. cannot and the ability to to do that process naturally such that people it doesn't look very mechanical in the ones that you're showing and which ones you're not. Yes. So it really feels like, yeah, I can show you or I don't have to. It really doesn't matter. I'll tell you what he, I think he suggests, if I can deciphering the English correctly, okay. uh, uh, is pick up some cards. Okay. So let's take the top two. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. We'll just assume that sure. they're correct, right? Take the top two. Yep, they're alternating. Put them down. Mm-hmm. And take the next two, drop them down. Yep, they're alternating. Oh, that's fine. That's a very Danny D. Ortiz thing to do. Right. Which is like, he he 
has you do you like he's like when he says sometimes in some of his routines he'll say like you can put this on the top or the bottom he'll say bottom like after you've already put it right on the top yeah that is um I, and i've talked about this a lot i don't know if i've mentioned it on this podcast i think that's one of the reasons why i love danny drt's as much as i do and uh one of the reasons why i think he's he's one of the best is that he's one of the people that you can so if you if you really pay attention you can so clearly see what his personality is and what his strength is as a performer mm-hmm. and how he has actually it's it's one thing just to sort of write jokes that kind of are befitting to your character or or do material that's befitting to your character it's another thing to have your character and who you are as a performer and a, and a personality actually have things about it that truly enhance the actual practice of the magic mm-hmm. uh, i think a lot of his ability to do stuff like that his, his you know yeah, you drop the cards first, and then I say, yeah, and we can look at them. His, his way of doing that is so natural like, and so believable and so earned, and it's so it's so it's so in line with his character and his performance style, and it truly does enhance those effects in a way that yeah, a lot of characters. It's affecting the method, right? So, for like, instance, this is not a knock. I think this person's great. I saw that on Halloween week uh, last week. I saw Rob Zabrecki, uh, who's incredible, one of the best comedy performers in Magic, if not mm-hmm. the. Oh, I don't know. David Williamson's probably. It feels sacrilegious to not say he's the best, <laughs> but one of the best. Uh, one of the best comedy performers in Magic. Absolutely love him. Lots of respect for him. His show is fantastic, but his character isn't. Um, in, in, in as much of an obvious sense, I would say, enhancing the actual methods of the magic, right? Yeah. He's, uh, he's doing a great character that uh, that fits with the magic. It's, it's fantastic. It's incredible. But it's different than what Danny D'Artiz is doing, which is like who he is as a person is actually injected into the magic, heightening that as well. Yes. Uh, in a way that I think is quite incredible. And I, I really don't know of many other people that are also doing that. I mean, with Zabrecki, it's like his character is sort of informing, it seems, the character is informing which um, effects he chooses to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. And, and there are, with. like I said, and I, and I said this to my friend who was with me at the castle that night who had never seen Zabrecki before. He, did, he was in the close-up gallery, so he didn't, he didn't do the hug-kill trick. And we uh-huh. talked about this before. Nobody should be doing hug kill tr- the hug-kill trick except for Zabrecki. Yeah. No one should. Not even Tom Stone? Not even Tom. Well, I mean, if you invented it, I guess you can do it. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean... Uh, and unless you have some specific take on, like Justin Willman has his own thing. Um, do you know what that is? It's, it's like it's hug, hug yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's on a TV show, right? Um, but I think they wouldn't let him do that at the castle. So I think he just says hug kill the castle. Right. I don't know what he does at the castle. Uh, but you know, um, unless you have some variation on it, the only one doing hug kill. Do you, do you mean be, that um, no one should be doing those words, hug kill, or no one should be doing the thing at all? Uh, I guess no one should be doing the words hug kill. Yeah. Um, you know, like if you do a corporate event and you're like, you should, uh, instead of hug kill, it's like promote or retire. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, you could do other things. Everybody just does hug kill. I mean, that would be great if someone did like a corporate event at a struggling company and brought someone up and like six, five of them were laid off. Right. <laughs> One was promoted. <laughs> Except promoting means severance, you have severance, to, severance, yeah. severance, severance. It means you have to lay off the other people. Right. <laughs> Um, um, well, like, and one example uh, of a variation of that. Granted, this isn't even a trick; it's just an inside joke. Yeah, was during um, the AMA Awards show uh, this this past year. Simon Cornell and Jordan Gold were in the Peller. Yeah, and they did some magic, but most of the show was just inside jokes. Yeah, um, with tricks sort of attached to them. Yeah, and one of them was they brought somebody up. They did a whole setup, 
look at this die. I've got these six cards here. You know, you're going to roll it uh, labeled one to six. You're going to roll this die. And they did the whole setup completely seriously. And then, um, and then the person rolls the die. And then they take out the card. And they're like, all right, what's it going to say? And they just turn around and it just says kill. And they just look very, very confused. Uh-huh. Um, and then, uh, and then they go, and they sort of shrug. And then they come at this person with like a hammer or something. <laughs> and the, the lights go out. Uh, speaking of uh, dark uh, things, I thought of a very dark sketch video since this podcast is presumably about comedy. Right. Um, and there's only one person that's constantly knocking us for not doing enough comedy on it. Oh, who's that? And that is Taylor Hughes. Okay. Though well, I don't really care much of what he has to say as he is a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hashtag I thought of a, a I thought of a video sketch that is truly like, I cannot think of any venue that this would be appropriate to. Wow. To, like, I don't think there's any context when you, where you could ever actually make this video. Okay. Okay. Uh, because it's, it's so I'm just going to couch that it's a very insensitive, it is a video that I, I would probably find very darkly funny. Okay. So we're in Auschwitz. Yeah. Hear me out. Hear well, me out. So it is, um, I was watching basketball last night, uh, and at the halftime, they had a thing where... They had a family come out and be like, you guys are going to like meet the mascot. And they had blindfolds on. Uh-huh. So they come out and they're like, you're going to meet the mascot for the team. And the, the trick was their mother slash daughter that was in the army had come home safe and sound. And so they instead of getting the mascot, they're all touching her. They take all the blindfolds off. And it's like, oh, my God, she's home. She's safe and all that. Got it. So the idea was what if that, they did okay. that, but it was a casket. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is I, I really think it's, a, oh my god. it's not a good it's not a it's not an idea that is good for the world oh my god but I then I had a series of thoughts about like you know when they have like a school assembly and like a kid comes out <laughs> instead of the dad coming out like they just roll out a casket and it's like your dad's home <laughs> oh my god um this is just an idea that, like, I, I thought of it and I was immediately like, that is literally an idea that I just can't ever... I had no idea where you would make an idea like that and right. have people... Like, you would have to couch it in so much... Essentially the way I am now, by saying, like, I'm sorry I had this idea. <laughs> right. I, but since I had it, you need to burn with me, so... Yeah. Um, it's more, I just imagined, what if I was watching a comedy show and somebody else had done it? That's right. what I really want. Someone else should make this idea right. so that I can see it. Uh, I don't need any credit. In fact, please don't credit me. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, I think a lot of actually lately our conflicts about what is appropriate in comedy and not. I think a lot of it is around this this axis of um, that the difference between jokes you make in private versus public. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like the the mistake some people have made is that they 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 think like. If I made friends laugh with that sketch idea, then me going on a TV show and making that idea and being like, everybody should get this. Isn't it funny? Right. Um, and I think that, I think one of the um, places of friction that a lot of straight white guys are feeling in the comedy world is that um, a lot of the public world sphere and their private sphere, like they owned a lot of the uh, standards comedy standards like what is considered funny and not in the public world for a long time mm-hmm. they they that's where the like funny is funny thing comes from if it's funny then it's funny then it's appropriate because as long as you make people laugh then 
uh, you can say it. But I think they're starting to realize. I think I mentioned this before, but like they're you mentioned this on the episode that we got erased. Oh well, there are also a Lost niche. Episode. They are also a niche audience. You know, every everybody is a niche audience. Everybody has their own world of like what is appropriate and not. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the pain points that like white guys are feeling now is like, oh, we aren't the default. Like we can't just say jokes that we say to each other in private that are really funny. We bust each other's balls and stuff. Right. We can't just do that to like another public figure that we're not friends with. Um, but, but also I will say, I think this is what is still pretty great about those roasts on TV. We watched uh, some of that Alec Baldwin roast. Oh, uh, sure. Um, How was it? It's pretty good. I mean, I think the roasts, some of the jokes in the roast are always so good. And I think it's part of it is that the roasts are a, still a public event where we all agree. You can pretty much say whatever you, you want. Right. Um, like, I mean, the jokes that they always make at Pete Davidson about his dad are, yeah. like, the darkest, like, but some of the funniest jokes I've ever right. heard. But also, it's coming with his, like, he's appearing there, and it's, he's sort of complicitly, you know, he's he's sort of acknowledging that it's okay. Right. Um, but yeah, I just think that some of the, like, and I think maybe that's on Twitter where, like, a lot of people get into trouble, is, like, it's a joke you could make with each other, let's say, you know, at game night with Robert, mm-hmm. I bet if we publicized every single joke made that day, probably wouldn't be great for everybody. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, actually. We had, a, we, had a, we had a variety of people. There was like 11 people there. Yeah. You know. Well, you did do, one of the games was who can do the best yellow face. <laughs> <laughs> um, I won. Yeah, yeah you, weirdly, you won every game. <laughs> I, won, I, I did great. I, I, funny, I, I do have a story about that another story magic really related at that party but continue oh no no that that's all it was i just i've been thinking lately about like public versus mm-hmm. private in terms of comedy well one thing it's, it's interesting to hear um I, I i love hearing interesting uh, responses anytime someone kind of makes an argument that like you know there's so much stuff you can't do anymore most notably i i uh when todd phillips during the Ugh. a lot of the joker press tour was like well i'm not gonna do comedy anymore because you, know, <laughs> you like, can't do you, it anymore did you do comedy to begin with <laughs> oh <laughs> Um, I mean, obvious issues aside, do you not think The First Hangover is a good movie? I do, but I mean, I think Zach Galifianakis is hilarious. Sure. More than I think the movie is funny. Mm-hmm. So. That's fair. Um, so, uh, he, yeah, so he, he says that, like, you can't do comedy anymore. That's why he's, you know, because you're not allowed to, you can't really do it anymore because uh, people get too sensitive about it. And the first time I heard that quote, it was on, I was listening to Film Week, mm-hmm. and they were sort of, uh, they, they spent the back half of the episode, they usually kind of get through all the movies, and the back half of that episode usually talks about some big thing in movies, or they'll interview someone, or they'll talk about, you know, like when Endgame came out, they did sort of half an hour on how Marvel sort of took over cinema, um, and, and sort of the story of that. Uh, rise and it was very interesting. So on this episode, they kind of did an ep- the, the back half was on the controversy surrounding Joker and why it is as divisive as it is, and you know uh, why it stirred up so much controversy. Anyway, so they're talking about that, and all the critics. I was happy to hear, even the one that didn't, uh, even the ones that did like the movie, kind of co- thought it was bullshit that he had said that, and uh, basically saying like you can still do outrageous comedy. You just have to do it in a less like offensive way. Like Booksmart just did a bunch of outrageous comedy, mm-hmm. and that was great, and everyone loved it, and it was very successful. You know, yeah. Um, you can do a lot of things. Uh, and there's, I think, I, they gave some other examples. And I can't think of what they are, but people are still doing it. They're just changing sort of the way they're going about doing it. The same way that the comedy from the '90s and 2000s was different from the '60s, '70s, and '80s. Right. Like, you can't. It's it's unlikely you can put out Porky's now. Right. Uh, but that's you know. 
it's just people getting old. You know what was interesting? <laughs> That's all it is. And I was shocked. The most interesting person that I saw come um, to the def- uh, to come out, out against what Todd Phillips had said. The Riddler. Was the Riddler. The Riddler was like, <laughs> gotta, you, you know, my riddles are very sensitive. Um, no, it was uh, Mark Maron, oddly enough, who's in the film Joker. Yeah. And so he came out and went like, no, you just have to not be lazy. And yeah. I, I was su- very surprised to hear that someone... Yeah. Like Mark Maron would uh, would would kind of go against that. Yeah, because he has the cranky old man uh, vibe, yeah. the aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't. Just let's just imagine. I spent five minutes talking about how disappointed I am in President Obama. And his, oh right, his yes, bullshit. I saw shit. your. I saw your. I just like such a lame, whatever. Just yeah. old man on the lawn bullshit thing. I any time these days that people talk about like millennials and young people. It's just like as soon as the Senate or social media, when people want to talk about young people, millennials, social media or any, I just, I tune out so much. Cause I'm just like the, whatever you're about to say is just so like calcified and like hackneyed. Right. The idea that people just like tweet and then just like go back to like playing video games or Instagramming their food, telling you what their lunch was. Like, right. it's just like such a bullshit assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that was one minute spent on that. Yeah, instead yeah. of that. Uh, what we, we were talking about Todd Phillips. Oh, oh, I, oh, have I told you this theory that I have about the hangover? Uh, I need to rewatch the hangover to sort of validate this theory. But okay. when I saw it in the theater, uh, cause I think that came out what? 2000, Five maybe or something like that. No, I think a little bit later than that. I'd say probably two thousand eight or nine. I think that that movie functions really well as a metaphorical examination of the George W. Bush presidency. Whoa! So uh, Zach Galifianakis is George Bush, and he's basically hangover is two thousand nine. Okay, so he's George Bush is Zach Galifianakis's character. So he's like leading. He's an idiot that's leading everybody. He's making lots of decisions for people. Okay. They're going to bad places. Uh, I just thought that, um, is it Josh Radner that's on the roof? No, it's, uh, no, it's somebody like it's that. It's kind of a no one, really. Yeah. Uh, that guy is like the weapons of mass destruction. Uh, but His name is Justin Bartha. Justin Bartha. He, who, gets, he gets fifth billing. <laughs> Justin Bartha, who, uh, fun fact, insider uh, – Info from someone that worked with him is apparently a terrible person. Oh, is he? Yes. Um, uh, and then, uh, so there's a lot of parallels. I'd have to rewatch it too. But in the theater, what triggered this connection to me is at the very end of it, there's a bunch of photos that are like Abu Ghraib photos. At the very end on the credits, there's right. photos of like... Of their bachelor, of the party. Yeah, but also they, of like uh, Zach Galifianakis like with his dick out in an elevator, like... The the there's just still images that are very reminiscent of the Abu Ghraib, like the 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 way people would look at the camera in the Abu Ghraib photos, like enthusiastically, like doing something horrible. Abu Ghraib photos. Oh, are. Abu Ghraib photos are these photos that came out from, uh, like a military like like base, I think, uh-huh. or a prison, something like um, basically abuses that um, uh, American Got soldiers it. were doing to. Um, people in prison and they took all these like photos of themselves like hilariously uh here you could oh my god this one's horrific that's a prisoner that they've made dress up like that but there's also other i think her name was like Lindsay or something um 
what was her name? Someone at home. Oh, it says, uh, Abergrip Soldier, I'm not sorry. This article dated from 2012. Lindy England. So anyway, there's one where she's like, something's horrible happening. And she's like at the camera just going like that. Yeah. The photos at the end of Hangover have a very similar tone to huh. these photos. Interesting. So. Um, yeah, I don't know anything about that. If, now to, to validate that, I would have to watch that movie again. Sure. Uh, are you excited about Danny and Woody? Oh, they got a two-person DVD coming yeah. out, right? About yeah. like two-person magic. Yeah. I'm kind of excited. Yeah, about I am. This. I am excited about that. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some really good stuff that has no right to be as good as it is. Yeah. These are like, uh, I mean, I would say these are two of my favorite magicians. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you know, we never talked about when we saw Woody on the podcast. Oh, we didn't. Um, there's just one very interesting story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think. Um, yeah, because the, we, we did a podcast where I was like, well, I'm not going to get to see him. And then I was able to. Yes, uh, your, your night freed up. So we went to the castle. We saw Woody Aragon, and then we saw Taylor Hughes. Uh, both very good shows. Only one of whom is a serial killer. Only one of whom is a serial killer, and it's not the Spanish one. I won't say who it was, but it wasn't the Spanish one. Um, and so, anyways, so we're watching Woody Aragon, and he, there's this one moment where he does this very, very interesting thing, and you could, it was really fascinating to get to watch his wheels turn in a way that you don't always get to, mm-hmm. I think. Usually he's so in control. But for a moment, he's kind of like, uh-oh. Shit, I just sort of... This is a true magician in trouble plot. It really was. So, um, yeah, it it was really like when they're like, and then I turned around, and wouldn't you know it, he shuffled the cards face up and their face down. Uh It was like a real version of that. So he's doing a lot of good card magic, and he's he's killing it, you know, uh, he's doing classics, all his woody stuff, you know, estimating how many cards people had cut, and so on and so forth, and finding cards, and uh, a lot of really interesting stuff, and, and just very, very good, and very entertaining. People are enjoying it. As, as they often do when Woody performs. So he's doing a poker routine, and he's talking about dealing out cards. Now, I don't know if he's already done some sort of poker dealing up till this point. H- has he? Uh, no, I don't believe he okay, has. Okay, was this his first venture into this? I think anyway, so. He, talks he was about- doing a lot of like, hey, what card do you want? I'll find right. a card. Um, a lot of, while well, he's not using Mnemonica, a lot of like Mnemonicosis style stuff. Because he has his own stack. He has his own stack, which I do not know, which I presume he was using. Um, During also, the show, uh, I, I, I really don't know. So. You selected a, like two of clubs, and it was already on the face. of the It deck. was already on the face of the deck. Yeah. I mean, I know this isn't really how it happened, but it seemed like you said two of clubs, and he was like, "There it is." Maybe that's how it happened, but it, it seemed like the speed with which it happened was that. Yeah, he might have gotten lucky. Yeah. You know, I, anytime I've done demonicosis, it, it has happened more than once that people have said the four of clubs or nine of diamonds, and uh-huh. it's just like awesome. I'm about to fool you. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, Actually, you just keep asking people until, until someone says one of those two. Right. Like, no, no, <laughs> no. Uh, Try again. You're so bad at this. Uh, so anyway, so at one point he goes, um, I, uh, he asks someone to name a, um, a poker hand. And he goes, okay, let's say a straight flush. For anyone who's uh, unaware, a straight flush would be um, uh, five cards in order in the same suit. So like a, a three, four, five, six, seven are diamonds. Uh, that would be a straight flush. And by the way, I think he was uh, kind of prepping you, to, prepping the person to say full house. Um, oh, you think so? Yeah, because he said, sorry, what did you say about straight flush? That, like, how did he prep that part? I can't remember. He asked, some, he asked someone to name a poker hand. So when he said name a poker hand, he said, like, name any poker hand, like, 
a pair, two pair, three of a kind, uh, four of a kind, and he stopped there. Like it, it, I felt like, oh, the next one would be Full House. Interesting. I wonder if that's intentional or not. Yeah. Um, that, I feel that'd like be with a those cool guys. psychological thing where he's just like, he that's the one ready to go. Yeah. At any rate, that is not what the guy says. The guy goes, asks for a straight flush. And then Woody goes, great. He goes, fine. And he, he reacts oh. appropriately. Then he asks what suit he wants to flush in. So wait, he didn't say straight flush. He said, I want uh, ace through five. He said something weird. Okay. That, but, the, but I feel like there was a... a but he didn't say the... F- he didn't say is, the suit. He didn't he do didn't, the weird part yet. But what I'm saying is he didn't say the flush part. Because that okay. would be the right, all the same suit, right? Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. He, so says, he goes, like, he goes I, I want an ace through five. Right. And then he goes, okay. Um, which And then he goes, uh, uh, what suit do you want? Sort of setting up like a oh, club star major diamonds. And the guy goes, um, okay, I want the ace and two of hearts and the three, four, and five of spades. And the whole audience is kind of like, huh? And, you, and Woody just, she just goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> because you can see this guy just basically just pick what suits you want. Which also, is not because, what he was asking. By the way, this is not a, I mean, technically it is a poker hand, but it's not a weird thing straight. for a, yeah, it's just a weird thing for someone to ask for. Yeah. it's uh, uh, And so you really, I mean, anybody who knows, you know, magic watches Woody just go, uh, yeah. And you kind of see him in that, you know, that tenth of a tenth of a second moment where he's like, am I going to do this or should I ask him to change? Well, no, was- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And then he, yeah, and then he basically starts like, he starts talking about how surprised he is and how nobody's ever done that. And while he's doing that, he's just, he's just making it happen. Yeah. He's talking to the guy and then he's buying time. He's like, and, and let's say how many people are playing. He goes, let's say four people are playing. And then he goes, and which one do you want that? hand to be dealt to and as this guy's explaining it he's like calling cards he's doing pharaoh shuffles he's doing like all this kind of shit uh, also having not- some trouble with the pharaoh shuffles a little bit yeah a little bit it's like what well, to the point that he commented on it yeah he was at like, one point he mentioned he's he was like, like these cards are old or whatever he's like yeah it's difficult uh and pharaoh shuffles are difficult and that's why i rarely do them in performance because they're so hard to yes uh always like i can do a pharaoh shuffle i just did a pharaoh shuffle yeah. but to to reliably do that in 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 performance i almost said in concert um, yeah, live uh is so difficult side note over the weekend uh we watched like four or five episodes of succession on hbo oh cool and uh Have you, did you start it started it, yeah. okay I'm, I'm three episodes in i've only watched a couple episodes. yeah it's good um uh while we were watching i took a, a mnemonica stack and tried to pharaoh it eight times mm-hmm. to get back to it uh-huh. failed like multiple times and then i just was like let me just try to hand do it by hand like alternating split at 26 and then go by hand and i failed doing that a bunch wow. of times because i was trying to track basically where the two of hearts goes when you do that right it goes in like weirder places than i thought it would go yeah like in my head i'm like doesn't it just go down like four cards every time or something and, and i think that probably is what it does but anyway so um he was farrowing um, around this point. The specta- I heard the spectator say to his companion, I think I got him angry, is what he said. Oh, really? Almost like, I mean, he was being cheeky on purpose for asking for that. Sure. So then what happened? So, yeah, I mean, he I, he did it. I, I, I mean, it was just pretty interesting that, like, in a matter of about a minute and a half, and it, and it got a really good reaction, as it should have, because I think people knew that. That guy had asked for something very bizarre, and and what he kept saying like, "Well, no, no one has ever asked for this." And a very you know joking and a, po- a he was like, like he, he wasn't like he wasn't like are you kidding? He wasn't angry. He was still being Woody. No, he was kind of. Um, but he was genuinely shocked, uh, charmingly befuddled. Right. He was like, "In my forty years, no one has ever, or in forty years, no one right. has ever asked me this." Um, interestingly, I think that in a way, it was less, at least to me, less fooling because. Like, 
to the point that he was he was almost just like assembling it in front of us like it wasn't that different than if he just like hand, by hand put the cards in the order that he needed sure it's just that he was because he was doing so many moves like right in front of us yeah he's like doing pharaohs and then he would like he, he was open and yeah. like move one card to the bottom like do another pharaoh like he was doing a lot of and that what was interesting is i mean for for someone that has a lot of tricks in his books that are very math heavy and very you know there's a good understanding of the math of the cards and 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 when you move them and what you're doing to them how that actually affects what you're doing yeah um as opposed to just like a lot of like palm the card and put it in your pocket that sort of stuff it was interesting to see that all of that was not just something he's able to do and put in a book it's something he's really able to do in the moment on the fly yeah without the um without the warning that he will have to do that and and also not probably not recreating something he's ever done before. Right. So he's got some facility of like where the cards live in the stack and how he can get them to the right spots mm-hmm. in a configuration that he probably has not been asked to do before. And in like whatever the third, it was like the third player he wanted to have those cards. Right. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I can't think of uh, another time to that extent where I've seen um, such a, a high level regarded performer, um, highly regarded performer, get tested as much as he kind of did in that moment yeah and succeed as well i mean tested to the point that i, I think you're right that the, i think the audience did sense it right so i think that's part of the big response that he got sure. was just like he was handed a like difficulty five five point oh or whatever and right. he like achieved it um and then he did his bumblebee thing which was good yeah yeah fooled me uh, um, sort of a mcdonald's aces kind of a ace assembly with a little bit of a twist ending where the cards all kind of change which is which is why it's cool that it's a bumblebee because at the end uh he i don't want to spoil the end of the trick it's pretty charming but um at the end the bumblebee the colony dies yeah like everybody yeah Yeah. and then he uh a banner falls in the ceiling that says 2019 (laughs) the last year we had bumblebees right um uh, what is the McDonald's aces? Because I encountered this recently. Yeah, it's just a classic. Like you, you take four aces. There's a billion versions of it, uh-huh. um, and you put you kind of have them in a specific order, uh, and you have like one sort of in front of the other three. They're lined up, and you put three cards on top of each. Oh, ace. is this where they disappear? They all disappear, and then they yes. uh, um, the four appear on on top of the. the- uh, I recently. Uh, oh, this is fun. Recently downloaded two penguin lectures mm-hmm. uh and mcdonald's aces was in this one this uh, uh i don't know where he's from his name is jack that's what he goes by jack the okay. magician uh and he had a very good version of that okay there uh, are a lot of great versions the other one which i think is a fascinating one for everyone that listens to this to watch is jabrizi's penguin magic mm. lecture um did you watch it i did watch it how was it uh i don't know um, th- okay, here's the thing that, so he doesn't, I don't think that the effects in this lecture, I don't think, I don't think any of them are his. So that's interesting. <laughs> like they're all, it's like a Coke bottle and a paper bag. It's like, um, some ring stuff. Uh, I haven't watched all of it, but like so far I was like, oh, I, it seems like he's using things other people, which is, um, an interesting thing to lecture on, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe they're just like so apparent that like, they're so like in the public domain that you can lecture on them, but he's Honestly. not really like, so, so uh, there, and there's, there's, I will say there's points in the public performance part of it where stuff goes wrong and like the recovery isn't that smooth. 
Hmm. So it's a little bit like, oh, that's a weird recovery from that moment. Right. Uh, for example, there's a thing where doing a ring thing, he's got his his ring and your ring, and he's sort of transposing them in that kind sure. of thing. At one point, he puts your ring on your shoulder, you know, like like set, moving you to a place and the ring's on your shoulder. Right. And then you're holding very still, and like, where's your ring going to appear? Uh, and then the person moved, and it like fell on the ground. Uh. And he was just like, well, we got a runaway ring. And he's like, kept moving on. It was weird. Like, I w- wasn't sure what he was trying to do there. However, I will say... That something un I would say underrated about Jabrizi is that he is very charming. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so the in the public performance, the audience is really with him, and he's he's pretty good at like just being like. It's it's almost like the thing of like I I don't think his magic is like top notch, but he's very like people like watching him. Mm-hmm. So that might be an underrated thing about him. And also the crowd for that uh, performance is way more diverse than most of the penguin magic lectures. Like there's a lot of African American people there. Really? And so I think that's valuable too. Just like, like widening the audience that comes to see live magic is a good thing. Right. Uh, I, I think there's a probably parts of the magic that would make you cringe. Sure. I mean, he did, and he also. I mean, his reputation is like the Instagram magic. That, oh, the, by the way, he, the the first question Dan Harlan asks him is like, "What do you think about that controversy?" <laughs> like, like they don't go into the interview and like just talk about the tricks. Like the first ten minutes of the interview is like, so a lot of people seem to like really not like you. Really? <laughs> yeah. Talk that, about it. That part's fascinating. Uh, his answers aren't that great, but it's still. I'm I'm very impressed that Dan Harlan is just like. Had the, I mean, yeah, had the had the stuff to just be like, let's talk about the fact that a lot of people think what you do is bullshit. Yeah. Um, Jabrizi's main thing was that he got caught shooting a video where he was coaching the people how to react right. to the trick. And also, he would shoot videos... To a I, trick that they would not see. Uh, yeah, like they, that they wouldn't be fooled by. Like, yeah. he would also sometimes shoot videos, and some Instagram people were doing this, but they'd shoot videos in a way that was like, that person can see what the card. Oh, of like, course, absolutely. Like, there's, there, if it's for the camera, then that person, that participant can see that that's not the card. Right. So... Uh, it was him getting them like really amped up. Someone I was at, I did a gig last uh, week or a week and a half ago, um, and uh, I uh, I was talking to these people who you know I had sort of a, a down moment. I was basically standing behind a bar doing like kind of bar magic for like four hours at this mm-hmm. party, and uh, I was talking to this couple uh, and we became kind of friendly. And, and uh, they asked me, you know, I showed them a lot of magic. They're asking me questions and stuff when there weren't a lot of other people around. And one of the things they were they're talking to me about different Instagram magicians and, and such. And that usually happens. Someone will be like, "What's this guy's name?" And, and I can usually kind of tell them who, who they're thinking of. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so they were asking about like how much of it is real and how much of it is fake. And I said, "There's usually a bit of an assortment. Some of it's real, some of it is not real." And then I said, "Generally speaking, not always." But generally speaking, the the kind of thing to look for is if the people that are surprised by this are standing behind him. Like if they're standing behind him or kind of next to him and they're also seeing like if the camera is showing the front of an object and they're standing next to him and can see behind it and something very visual happens is that that is usually a signal that is not real. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of this stuff will be uh, sort of woven together. The real stuff in with a video of something that is also fake kind of going back and forth so it's hard for you to uh hard for you to tell and i didn't you know what I, and i did not mind telling them that because i also don't like that people are doing that so yeah something else that people could make use of is uh one of the people that i follow uh i don't want to give away who it is because of the like it might reveal things about this person's content but 
they uh, sometimes use the person shooting a video as mm-hmm. a code act. So, and the way they do it is, uh, let's say a cameraman's behind you. Have you pick a card, and I want to know whether the card's like red or black. Mm-hmm. They'll shift to which side, they, which shoulder they shoot over, as to code the color to me. Oh, that's fascinating. I think that's I think that's really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Because <laughs> I think the cameraman is kind of invisible, right, to people. Yeah, and so like it's interesting that you could code act from like yeah, that's some, that's some creative stuff. That I don't yeah. see really as. I mean, it's cheating, but it's not the same kind of cheating. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Um, Although to be fair, then you could also just code them. They could just hold up their hand and be like. <laughs> like they can just code it in a lot of ways, I right. guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's some stuff about I don't know how we got on talking about Instagram match. Oh, Jabrizi. Uh, oh, something pretty fun that did happen at this party the other day, though, that uh, magic related mm. was that towards the end of the night, um, one of the people that invited uh, on the Facebook event, um, Simon Coronel, ended up showing up, uh, and he was with Shoot, uh, and they were getting dinner together, and then the two of them came by the party and they hung out for a while. And then towards the end of the night, people kind of realized that the four of us were magicians uh-huh. all sort of sitting next to each other. And so this one girl goes, uh, uh, oh, you know what? I actually know like one magic trick. And we were all impressed because for the first time ever and probably certainly in one of, in my life, if not for all of us, that person actually did a legitimate magic trick. Oh. This girl's like, uh, do you have a deck of cards? Okay, I can, I can do a magic trick. Here you go. And 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 uh, she ended up doing a legitimate triumph routine. Oh. Um that fooled the people, the, the, the other layman there that she was showing it to. And we're like, holy shit. So then they all kind of, uh, Simon kind of ultimately, um, there were two decks of cards on the table. And she'd opened one of them and was using it. Um, and then so uh, so Simon started joking that, um, so I don't know how it got into the idea that all four of us were about to do a magic trick. Simon... <laughs> shoot robert and myself uh-huh. but that's ultimately what happened and the idea was simon basically set up the premise that there are, are several ways to find and reveal a playing card uh-huh. the idea is simon would take a card uh he had to pick a card and he did like a, sort of an ambitious card routine with it and then he would uh and i'm doing finger quotes air quotes here you know lose the card in the deck and then pass it to robert who would then pr- produce the card in a different way uh-huh. and then he would then pass it to me and then i did, you know, so like so simon did sort of an ambitious card routine kind of a thing pretty classic very good then he handed the cards to robert and robert did that thing where he you know he kind of like does a floor for the cards and then he does that uh, that kick up move where it shoots the card out of the deck from behind his back mm-hmm. so he, like does a false shuffle shoots it over his shoulder catches the cards really cool um there were uh, we had eaten meatballs earlier. So what I had done is then I had uh, this is sort of Leonard, very Leonard Green style. I palmed a meatball and then someone handed me the cards and I sat down down at the table and said, "Okay, I'm gonna cut your I'm gonna cut your card here. We go. I'm gonna cut your, to your card." And I cut the cards and I produced the meatball. You know, that's meatball. Uh, and then I uh, and then I did a, uh, I like I made the card appear out of the box. And then um, shoot did something um, very small and it was good. And then. He fooled all of us because there was the other deck of cards sitting down, sitting on the table the whole time. That he then opened up and revealed that there was only one, that, that all the cards were face up except one was face down, and it was her card. Oh! And then he picks up the the box and he shakes the box, and a meatball comes out of the box, <laughs> and it was incredible. And I was, and there was no, because I didn't know they were coming. Um, and they kind of decided late like, they were coming, and I didn't know Simon was, was with shoot. And uh, there was no way in a million years I would have guessed that by the end of that night, Shoot would be falling like at the beginning of that day we're already stuffing fast food into our faces. Yeah. Uh, and and playing Mario Kart. That at the end of the night, Shoot would be shaking meatballs out of car- playing card cases and fooling the entire room of people, including the magicians. Wow. Uh, 
with a card trick. And I, all, I I had to hold myself back from just stopping everything and being like, just so the other six of you have any idea who this is and yeah. what you've just seen. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it was incredible. That's great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, well, I guess that's all we have to say this week. I actually do have something. Oh, that's right. I got something. So I'm reading this Tommy Wonder book. Uh, this is, I believe this is volume two of the Book of Wonder, uh, the Books of Wonder, rather, by Tommy Wonder and Stephen Minch. Um, I'm actually I'm curious when to look this up now. I want to see when um, this was published. I believe it was published in the late 70s, maybe the early uh, the early 80s. It doesn't have a, uh, a little thing here. Um, anyway, so... There was uh, there's some great tricks in here. If you don't own the books of wonder, they're back in print, and you can get out the magic apple. I believe for like seventy dollars, maybe seventy nine dollars. Um, and uh, there's some incredible tricks in there. A lot of very high tech, very strange, very like highly engineered stuff that Tommy Wonder was famous for. That's fun to kind of look at and learn about. You would be surprised to see how complicated the the blueprints of the ring watch and wallet actually are. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff like that is not easy to manufacture the way it is written. I remember at Magic Live a few years ago, somebody was selling them for like $1,000. He had wow. made like 15 of them. You could buy them for $1,000 each. Um, I, I, you know, probably not going to do that. Up, you picked up three sets. Uh, I, I, I just bought them out and then I sold them for $1,100. <laughs> anyway, so he, but what's interesting, what I, my favorite part about this book is the essays. He has a lot of essays just about his thoughts on magic. And there's one that I've been reading about, um, a cop, read like over a couple times. And I think it's interesting because I don't know if I completely agree with it. It's on the idea of the two perfect principle. Okay. Have, uh, have we talked about the two perfect principle? We have. We've talked about your evolution of your thoughts on this. Okay. Especially given light of uh, the having seen Asian magicians. Sure. Um, have I uh, talked about on the podcast? This I don't evolution know. of ideas. Well, so the two. Perfect, I don't know what you're talking two, about. Two perfect uh, principle is that if a trick. Uh, Tommy wanted to find it here. Oh, let's hear. Does he the one who like created this idea? No, in fact, he's about to rail on it for 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 a couple pages and talk about why it's the most dangerous theory to magic ever. Wait, let me guess. It's dangerous because it kind of prevents people from being too good. Like kind of because it's kind of like don't try to be like completely fooling. Always leave it out. Yeah, he says it halts progress. Yeah, yeah. As an example, (laughs) I can see that because I can see that being like. You know, like, well, don't do that method. It leaves no explanation. Why, like, that might be the way of pushing the art forward, but go ahead. So he also cites where the rule... Saying I'm as smart as Tommy Wonder. Uh, he, <laughs> he also cites the uh, the rule um, and where it initially... He believes it initially comes oh, cool. from. I didn't know its origin. So I'm just going to read the first couple sentences of this essay. Back in, ni- in January of 1971, a certain problem common in magic known as the too-perfect theory was considered by Rick Johnson in John Rockerbomber's journal Hierophant, number five, page 247. I have a couple copies of that journal oh really am i saying that right rocker bomber roger bomber don't know i don't know i think i don't think anyone's ever said it correctly not even him uh simply stated the theory proposed that at times an effect is so good that it leaves its audience with no solution but the right one since all others have been eliminated or as mr johnson phrased it in quotes here some tricks by virtue of their perfection become imperfect conversely some tricks by virtue of their imperfection become perfect so now he does not go into a uh, he does not go into a, a big explanation of because I'm curious to hear uh, to hear Rick Johnson talk about what he means when he says conversely some tricks by virtue of their imperfection become perfect I, I would like to hear more about that yes because uh, I've not I don't I've not heard people talk about the second half of that sentence very often so the part that by becoming imperfect become perfect yes 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, which I guess is I you can glean what it means from the first sentence that some tricks by virtue of their perfection become imperfect. You can kind of get the opposite of it. I would still like someone to kind of in depth really talk about what that actually means in context and in practice of the actual effect they're referring right. to. So anyway, but listen to how Tommy Wonder um, uh, describes that quote. This theory has been widely accepted, is applied quite a bit by some, and is unfortunately gaining popularity. Yes, unfortunately, because I feel this theory is one of the worst concepts to impure magic in a very long time. Acceptance of the theory will hold us back, preventing progress in a, progress in a serious way until the day it is abandoned. So what he's ultimately going to go on to argue here is that if you have a trick... Where you, uh, and he gives an example of his own uh, watch in nested boxes. A watch disappears and appears inside of a nest of boxes, which he has several different methods for that are all detailed in this book and he even cites the pages that you can find them on. Um, I've not gone back and looked closely at those methods since reading this essay, which I kind of want to do. But he basically says, here's an example. Now, unfortunately, I mean, one thing he does admit is he goes, this is all just from my personal stories and my personal thoughts. So it's not like he's running a very rigorous sort of test on this. He's kind of giving a lot of um, anecdotes about, like, here's how it is applied to me. Which is right. not a bad thing. I mean, it's his book. He can write whatever he wants. Um, but it, you, you should all, you know, and it's good that he makes that aware, but you, that you shouldn't necessarily take this as, as you know, a, a double-blind study. You right. know? So what he basically says is he, he, go, he gives a... Um, a uh, he, he performs a nest of boxes routine, and he talks about the, uh, the responses he was getting and the... Um, and and the problem with each method. Method. So the first time what he does, is he talks about doing a um, a routine. Um, this is the first version of it. The trick was good and it was an effective trick, but it didn't get the impact he had expected of it because he realizes the audience has no idea how the watch was getting into the nest of boxes. Mm -hmm. So they figured they must have. He says uh, they must have felt that I had managed it in some devious manner. In addition, the opening, unwrapping, and unraveling of the boxes by the spectator took too long. In my opinion, these things hurt the effect, so I set out to improve the method. I wish he explained here what he means when they think that the watch is introduced in the next of boxes, ne nest of boxes in some devious manner. Because, of course, that's what they're going to think. That's what they think about every trick. Anytime yeah, I yeah. find your card, they go, he found it in some devious manner. Of course, that's what they're going to think. I would guess that what he means is that he th that they think, oh, some like technology got the watch in there as opposed to like it appeared in there. Sure. As opposed to like what the, the text of the routine is. Sure. Okay. Yeah. His next solution employed just two nested boxes. See method two, page 280. The method of loading was extremely fast and efficient. Unfortunately, the boxes had to be put out of view during the first half of the presentation, mm. and I had to unwrap them. Doing the unwrapping myself had the advantage of speeding up the process, but the magical impact is definitely enhanced when the lender of the watch unwraps everything. Nonetheless, the method was improved and the presentation was tighter. Yet I knew I still hadn't achieved the full magical potential of this trick. So then he does a third... Uh, a, a third method and in this particular method people were convinced that that was stooged um, because uh -huh. now he could do the boxes were in view the whole time now the uh, spectator could do the unwrapping and um, so people just assumed that uh, the boxes that the person was had stooged it in fact to the point where he even suggests that um, he, he tells a story where the very spec he's it is the same watch it is not a duplicate watch um, that's what people assume that it's a stooged thing and there's two watches yeah um, to the point where he even tells a story here that somebody in the audience um, who was their watch said, no, that is not my watch denied. It was theirs. <laughs> and then after the show, Tommy wonder says, why did you deny that it was your watch? It was your watch. And he goes, I mean, it looked like my watch, but it was out in the open the whole time. Like it was so, he basically says 
you it couldn't have been it couldn't have been my watch. The box was here the whole time. It was impossible that would have gotten in right, there. Right, right. Uh, and so he apparently uh, let's see, Fawcett Ross had a similar story. Yeah, the last straw broke when at one performance, even the owner of the watch denied that the timepiece he took from the alarm clock was his. After the performance, I asked him why he said such a thing, and he told me, it looks like my watch, all right, but since you never went near the box, there's no way it could have been inside there. So it must be a duplicate watch. First of all, that sounds like a quote on a Penguin Magic trick. (laughs) Uh, I recently learned that Fawcett Ross had the identical experience years ago in performing a coin in a ball of wool effect recounted on page 160 of Lewis Ganson's Magic with Fawcett Ross. So what he's ultimately saying is, what you do is when you make a trick, um, when you make a trick and you're done with it, and it sort of hits that sort of space where it's the the people think that it's one thing uh, and the trick is sort of impacted by that, uh, he thinks that you're sort of doing a cop-out when you sort of stop there and go, well, the two perfect theory. What he says is, is that you sh- what you need to be doing is um, you need to, he goes, you could settle for a worse effect. I could go back to the second method, which is a worse effect, right? I, of course, I don't need to do um, to, to make them think that there's not a duplicate in the box because I, in the second method, as he described, he has to take the boxes out later. He has to unwrap them. Since it's a worse effect, there, no one thinks that it's a duplicate watch. Mm. So therefore, he doesn't have to spend the time proving that it's not a duplicate watch. Uh, and then what he's saying... So, so wait, following the two perfect theory would be to back off to the second version because the third version is too perfect. I believe that is what and, he's saying and what people he's saying tend is, to do. What he's saying go, is... Go to a fourth version. Go to a fourth version whereby you find a way to prove all the things you need to about the third version. And right. he gives an analogy, this little picture in the book, he gives an analogy about um, uh, like walking up a hill and at the top of the hill you see a sign that says perfect. And so as if you're like, that's the perfect trick. And so you spend all this time walking up the hill and then when you get to the top of the hill, you realize the sign is not there and the sign is actually on top of a taller hill in the distance it looked like it was on top of the hill that you just climbed up. Um, and he goes, and a lot of people do not want to spend the time and energy to walk up that second taller <laughs> hill after this one they just did. So they'll yeah. sort of stop at the one that they, they have. Um, the first thing I think of, so I'm just curious kind of what you think about that. Um, well, the, the, it is kind of what I thought that if you're, um, I, I don't know anything about Tom Wonder's personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's he from? Poland. He's okay. from Poland. Um, that if uh, if you're a, if you're a strident artist, you might see this too perfect thing as a cop out for lazy people, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of what I thought he would say, which is kind of what he did say. <laughs> right. Like you should try harder. Right. Um, just and, to re- he, and, and there are times in the book and other essays where he essentially says something along those lines. Uh, I mean, one of the first essays in the book basically says, like, you can't be a good performer without talent, and talent is a thing that comes naturally to you or does not. I um, mean, he, he flushes that out more like you yeah. can train it, you can, you know, but you can't take someone with zero talent and make them, you know, an incredible performer. There is a natural quality to it. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, while I don't necessarily disagree with, is it a harsh thing to say that, like, some people just don't have it, you know? Yeah, I guess. Um, uh, but, but, what I was going to say about the, um, the oh the the thing is though, it's possible that anything involving a an audience member is is will always have the it was stooged as the final mm-hmm. thing. Sure. So, um, like maybe that's I don't know. I I think that. I was going to say, maybe that's the goal of like a trick with an audience member is that the only way it could right. possibly be true is if it's stooged. <clears throat> because then like, what can you, let's, let's say you make a perfect trick and the, the response is it was just the, the person was in on it, which is what you see on YouTube all the time. We will see fool us routines. They're always like, well, that person was in on it. I mean, 
is it worth going to prove that part is not true too? Like that seems like overly excessive. Well, what do you mean? To to try to prove to a skeptical audience member that it wasn't stooged. Right. So he even he suggests <clears throat> like there are other things he could have done. He goes, "What if I borrowed six watches and yeah. did it with all of them?" Yeah. You know, um, that takes a lot of. Uh, he goes, "Right." So he even writes that. He goes, "What do I do now?" The two paths I mentioned earlier now stand clearly before me. The two perfect theory, as it names, as its name implies, should go to the road less traveled. What uh, would have it that the effect is too good and therefore needs to be made less perfect to be more believable to audiences? Any effect is two basic components: the magical happening itself and the proof provided support it with my nest watch boxes my, my nest watch and nest of boxes excuse me the effect is very strong with the proof that it really happened is not sufficient in a successful effect it is necessary the proof completely supports the magical event one wishes to portray if i went back to my second method the problem of belief in the use of a duplicate watch would be solved simply because the effect isn't as strong and therefore requires less proof um then he talks about uh yeah as a result they may be- walk away believing that you are very clever but not that you've done something beautifully magical um and so in we, the second version yeah also i think that um um i think it's been shown over and over that there is no they in in magic audience responses sure. right so like t- i would also just think just do the strongest thing you can there's always going to be like 10 percent of the people that think it's stooged and right like, and fuck this, them. <laughs> this goes back to something i talked about with simon cornell i'm sure he talked about his own uh podcast is that no trick will fool everyone 100 percent of the time yeah the idea is that every trick will have a bell curve in it um that peaks somewhere as far as the amount of people it's going to fool and you kind of want that peak to be as far to the right as possible on this sort of graph of, of you know number of people well i would also say though that like so like let's say this trick that he has for non-magicians 90% 90% of the people think it's an incredible, the third version is an incredible effect. And the 10% of the people think it's stooged. Mm-hmm. You, you have fooled a hundred percent of the people. It's just the 10% of them are assholes. <laughs> um, and, and also I would, I would bet that he, in his magician brain, enjoyed doing the third version more than the second version. Sure. So just do the one you like. Fuck the audience. That's what, that's my opinion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it sort of goes on to... Uh, oh, can I reiterate your, what you told me about the two perfect theory? Uh, which sure. was that you felt you kind of agreed with it at some point, but then you saw, I think it was Reed Chang that you saw, or somebody... Oh, that was a slightly different thing. Okay. Um, that was uh, Pete Holmes and Derek Delgadio talking on their podcast. Uh-huh. And Pete Holmes had asked... Um, what... two, two very humble people. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> Like he, us. Uh, well, it, it actually wasn't really the too perfect principle. It wasn't, you know. Um, uh-huh. He was basically saying, why is it that I need to have, if something's... Oh, uh, why, like why, you make something disappear, the handkerchief has yeah, to... Yeah, why do I have to have a handkerchief or someone's hand go in front of it just for that split second? He goes, why... And he goes, I feel like without that, I wouldn't be interested. He goes, why is it that I feel like I have to have that just that briefest, just kind of like you couldn't even... You couldn't even 100% control that this was actually going to distort my vision for the split second that it does. Yeah. Why do I need that? And Delgadio's response was along the lines of, um, because without, if I could do it without that, if I could really just make it disappear, then it takes you out of it. Uh, you Now you're no longer a piece of this. But right now where you're sitting, oh, oh, what because you're the seeing gap from, is like, uh, my imagination filled the spot. So, well, sort of, but it's like this, you know, if, if, I'm just holding something and then it's just gone. I don't need you to be here to watch it. But if you're sitting there and you're watching it, uh, if I put my hand in front of it, even for just a split second, the idea is you need to be here for this to happen in a certain way such that it looks like this. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can just do it without you know, having to cover it up, then I don't really need you to be here for it. 
right. I think is kind of the idea, um, which I think, you know, I don't disagree with. I, I, I think that does make sense. That being said, like I said, now Reed Chang has made the rounds. He's done Magic Live and Genie, the two biggest United States conventions in the United States. Um, and uh, he makes that fucking book disappear right in front of you. Yeah. And he, he looks at it and it's gone. Yeah. Um, and uh, now he granted, now to uh, Delgadio's point, a lot of his act, he's using smoke as a cover. So like he'll, he has this incredible, oh, right, beautiful right. moment where he lets go of a clock and starts levitating across his chest and without touching and he blows smoke at it and it's gone. So yeah, he is using a little bit of cover, but there are times where shit is just disappearing. And, it and I would say you know, on like the Instagram magic world, even some of the things that are real, there's a lot more leaning towards like, just things that look like camera tricks. Right. Some of which can happen right in front of you in real life. Right. Like uh, when, like the and one mixtape started going around for basketball. The what uh, mixtape? And one. I don't know what that this is. This is uh, street basketball. Okay. Basically doing all these like uh, street basketball dribbling moves and like, uh, it was mostly dribbling stuff, but ball handling moves mm-hmm. that were kind of crazy. Like people hadn't really thought of before. Right. It really influenced like the kids that were like, three to ten oh sure growing up so now now the those moves are happening like in real games right as like very casually a guy brings a ball up across the half court now they're doing like between the legs and behind the back dribbles that in like pete maravich's day were just like what is he doing right so like i wonder if there might have been a time when the, the majority of instagram magic was fake Right, but I feel like there's a lot of like dedicated young magicians that were like, "No, I'm going to do this for real," mm-hmm. and like, so this idea of like not having cover for things disappearing seems to be. There's also what I what I don't like is I don't like the uptick in Instagram magic where it's like, just try to just try to, uh, guess what you're thinking, <laughs> like think of a color uh-huh. now think of a shape. Are you thinking of a green circle? If I got it right, oh, like, like, this, that I hate. This is like the Rick Lax. Uh, uh, yeah, but not specifically him because he's doing like math stuff um, yeah. and stuff that I, I don't really care for. But he's trying. To, in many cases, he's trying to do methods. There was one Instagram video that was somebody said, "I'm thinking of a fruit, and I'm thinking of a number from one to ten. Okay, it's like if, banana seven. Yeah, that's exactly right. And he goes, <laughs> "If you read my mind correctly, hit hit like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hit subscribe." And I was like. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> um, so that kind of stuff I find maddening. Um, um, to this question of the uh, the the whether or not there should be an explanation for something, um, here's something. Uh, I got the book Interpreting Magic. Uh, the David, David Regal, Regal book. book. I heard a, there's some great stuff in there that no one will ever do. Oh, well, I've only gotten one trick in. Got it. And uh, this, this is a question I had about it. Um, so can you just take one of these? Oh no, wait, this is the wrong deck. Take one of these cards. Da-da-da. Any card there? All right. I've got the four kings are going to help me. Sure. Okay, I've taken a card. Uh, okay. Um, actually, wait. Oh no, these got to be face down. Oh, yeah, these are very <laughs> face up cards. This doesn't make sense if it's face up. No. Okay, now can you take one? And you can look at it. Okay. Okay, I'll take that. These kings are going to help me figure out what your card is. So I'm putting it in here. And now the kings interrogate your card. Okay. Uh, by basically figuring out what it is. Uh, so we'll lay it back down. The kings now know what the card is, and they're going to whisper into my ear what the card is. Uh, so then there's a thing where... So your card is the six of clubs. Uh-huh. So then there's a thing where like I take the six of clubs. This is what's cool. Oh, I, I would have... Let's... <laughs> let's 
let's let me shift something real quick. Oh no, no, that's right. Um, I take your six clubs, put it in my pocket. Uh-huh. So then it's, but the thing is, is even though it's here, it can zip back to here. Right. And then it's like that. So it's not super clear from the writing whether or not this is supposed to look like I'm actually pulling it out of the pocket. Right. Or if it's supposed to look like it jumps. Sure. So because it's just sort of quickly fanned out the four cards, and now there's three kings and a face down card. Which yeah. It should not have been. There should have been four face up kings. Okay. The goal of this moment which he does right is that the goal is to make you think the thing in the pocket has disappeared. Mm-hmm. So is there an advantage to taking these and almost making it look like you did a move to like pull the card back out? Oh, like a sort of a card. Because there's a, there's a follow up. There's a follow up thing where this card turns into someone else's card. Oh, I see. So, but this moment I was curious about, I wasn't sure if he was saying like, do this so that it looks like, so that just looks cool. Right. Or do, or should you do it in a way that looks like, oh, I like stole it somehow. Mm-hmm. So then they actually think it's empty. And coming full circle to that thing I said that, uh, about Bill Goodwin was, um, yeah, if you, but reading that from a book forces you to kind of creatively come up with what you think the answer to that is. Whereas if you were, uh, if you would watch that on a video, you would sort of be robbed of that creative moment. Try to figure that out for yourself. I don't want to figure out for myself. Fair I paid enough. 75 let's bucks call, for this book. Let's call Regal. We can call Regal. Let's call Somebody has. Do you have his number? I don't. Somebody does. I'll, you know. Um, I'll look so it up in a phone book. Do you have any shows coming up this week? Um, I don't. Oh, yes, I do. Um, on, I, I don't actually know the name of the, the show, but um, this Saturday, I will. I have, a, I have a private thing on Thursday, sort of like a charity event um, at the Avalon in Hollywood. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, I'm with Ben representing Magic Bar, and we're doing like a pop up Magic Bar. Cool. As, and Jonathan Levitt will be there. So some sort of like black tie um, charity thing. I, I have no idea what that'll be, and that should be a lot of fun. And then on Saturday in Pasadena, at the Pasadena Mall, I believe at 7 o'clock, I'm doing an hour of walk around before a uh, show. Um, at uh, yeah, the I believe it's the Pasadena Mall. I think the new Bad Boys of Magic are hosting it. I believe Simon Cornell will be in it, and I think Simone Turkington from Mystique uh, will be in it. What Pasadena Mall? The big mall? I guess. I, Weird. I wonder if that's where I saw um, Puddle's Pity Party. Interesting. Yeah, I, I do not have a lot of uh, de- um, details, so I really don't know where. All right, so just Google for that. <laughs> just, just Google for that. Just Oh, wait. One Colorado. Is it something magical coming to the car- courtyard? Is that... On November Saturday? 9th. Then yes, it's that. The new Bad Boys of Magic plus special guests appearing in the one Colorado courtyard. Cool. Da, 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 that's what it is. It's Saturday at 7 p.m. Yeah. Limited VIP tickets. How much are those? Uh, I might be free. My husband is going to Africa for a week. so That's uh, crazy. $20 for VIP tickets. That's a deal. Um, also, uh, this week at the Magic Castle in the close-up gallery, Michael Amar. Oh, this week? Uh-huh. Go check it out. Uh, other names. I'll just read you other names. Rob Weinstock. Okay. Robert Francis. Okay. In the parlor is Bobby Torkova. A lot of Roberts this week. Yes. Chris Capehart. Okay. Classic. Uh, I imagine there'd be some rings going on in that. Yeah. Uh, in the palace, it's Jay Neal and Leanne. Okay. Kenji Minamura. Great. And David Sousa. Oh, that's good. Oh, wait. One. You got to ask him about his gloves. Yeah. David. David, here it comes. That, that, show me that. <laughs> in the library is Jeff Black. In the Peller, Friday through Sunday, Joel Ward and Brent Garris. Ooh. Um, do they still do the thing where they like kind of pair people up? Like, you two, do a show together. Um, yes. I, I really don't know how the... I think it works differently for every, everyone. I think oftentimes people are pitching shows. Like, I would like to do the Peller with Joel Ward, please. Oh, uh-huh, right, right. And, uh, and that'll be how that tends to go, I think. 
Um, but they're always looking for two-person shows. Well, I think everybody should go to the Saturday Pasadena show. I think yeah, it sounds fun. I'll be there. I'm going to do some strolling, um, and then it should be a good show. I'll be in Baby Let's Candy on Friday. Cool. Uh, and that's it. Right. I will be in theaters tomorrow watching Jojo Rabbit. Oh, yes. Uh, Wednesday, actually, if you're in L.A., I'm probably going to see Parasite again. Right. Um, so if we're both, uh, by the way, if we're both A-list members, I would say, listeners, feel free to pitch us movies you want to go see. Right. We'll just show up and eat popcorn wherever it is. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll see you next time. See ya. Thank you.